If you're like me, things like music, running, and cooking all bring happiness and meaning. However, there are times where even the things you rely on for happiness are not enough to help you achieve your goals. The good news is, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp Online Counseling is a way for you to connect with a professional counselor in a safe, private, and conveniently online environment. Schedule your own secure video or phone session, plus chat and text with your therapist at your own convenience. Everything you share is confidential, and licensed professional counselors are available with specializations in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem, among more. BetterHelp is available worldwide, and if you're not happy with your counselor at any time, you can request a new one at no additional charge. With over 3,000 licensed therapists, you can start communicating in under 24 hours with non-crisis counselors. Schedules can be set up weekly, over phone, or video, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. I've been using BetterHelp for the last few months, and I feel a strong sense of clarity, purpose, and understanding in speaking with my counselor. It's important to speak with a professional when you're feeling in need of communication and understanding. Beyond the Pond listeners get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp by using the discount code BTP. That's BTP. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash BTP. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash BTP. you know, kind of a bridge between what we've been talking about from a sports standpoint, from a, ba- from a music standpoint. Um, one thing I've always wondered is, you know, there's kind of this notion in improvisational music that when you walk off the stage, you move on to the next gig. Uh, there's, especially in music, like there's no press conferences. The focus is kind of on being present and being creative in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we as fans obviously spend a lot of time dissecting shows, dissecting eras, jams, whatnot. For the most part, the band is really separate from this. Um, now, obviously, from a sports standpoint, like you come off from a huge save or from a, you know, the opposite of that. <laughs> uh, and, and you've got to give a press conference right then and there. Do, do you find yourself like trying to have as short of a memory as possible with things like that? Or do you find that it lingers in your head and like where, where is that for you? Like either from like a great moment where you like save the game in a really tight, important game or one where you had, um, you know, you let in a couple of runs type of thing. Yeah. So this is something that, um, I've, I've had to work on really hard, uh, over the course of my career and, and it's, it's evolved a lot. Um, you know, now I'm entering my, my ninth season. So, um, uh, it's something that um, I've definitely uh, I definitely struggled with, especially early in my career. Uh, like you like you kind of mentioned, like uh, turning the page. How do you process it? 
in a healthy way so that when you leave the field that night, you've kind of put it, put it in its proper place, good, bad, or otherwise, and taken what you needed from it, learned from it. Um, and then, you know, get ready to, to, you know, cause you're going to get called on just that. That's just the way baseball works. Like you're going to get called on in a really similar situation sure. in the next game. It's all, it, it's almost inevitable. So, um, early in my career, I was, um, I would, uh, kind of stake a lot of my uh self-confidence and and kind of uh self-esteem on um how I was pitching um you know in the really in 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 the immediate and and so if I was pitching if I was pitching well you know um I you know you're kind of walking around with your chest out right like you're feeling sure, you're the sure, man you know sure. um and if and if it doesn't go your way um, you, you take it really, really hard. And, and what that does over the course of a long season is that you really start riding that, that mental roller coaster. And, um, those, those, those highs get really high. Sure. And, but the lows can, can be so bad that they kind of can derail your season for a few weeks or, or a month or whatever. And, and, um, you know, you, you can't afford to let that happen when your team's counting on you to get really important outs late in the game. And, and so now like there's, there, there's not just one, there's not just one way I think that I, that I handle it, but I have to find something like after a game, um, something that I can kind of put my finger on that, kind of will explain what happened something that i was Mm. that i was doing or or not doing uh mechanically um maybe maybe the the pitch sequences that we threw that night um even though i i executed them they might not have been the right sequences for for that hitter um maybe we'll have to go back to the scouting report and and try something else next time Uh, maybe i can get my body in a better position to to make my my pitches more effective um, and you know, maybe sometimes as hard as it is to admit, sometimes it's just not your night and, sure. and you, you do everything that you had set out to do and that you had planned to do. And, and, uh, it just doesn't go your way. You know, at the end of the day, they get paid a lot of money also to, to get hits off you in those situations. <laughs> so it, it, it doesn't, it, it does, it's not always going to go your way. And so for me, I found, um, that, uh, actually for me, um, I found that um, in those situations, talking to the media as much as it stinks, um, but standing up and being accountable for what you did and, and kind of explaining your process, uh, explaining you know your side of things, what happened, and, and what you're going to do to to not let it happen again, sure. is a little therapeutic in itself. Um, it, you kind of just put it all out there, and um, that is that actually I, I think kind of helps you turn the page, but for me, like finding something that I can, um, that I can take home with me kind of mentally and think about a little bit so that when I come to the field the next day, I'm ready to start working on making these adjustments. And I'm excited about getting, you know, getting back to form and you have to, even at this level, you're, you're never done learning. There's always something that, that you can take, even from a good outing where you had some success, there's always something you can take um, to file away in the back of your mind that maybe you could have done better, or maybe that's, uh, that's kind of the, 
the goal that you're working towards, you have a good outing and you're like, all right, this is the one that I can come back to when I'm struggling a right. little bit to, to get myself right. And, and maybe sometimes you watch those just to start feeling good again, uh, you know, from a mental standpoint. Um, so there's really no one answer, but I found that trying to leave the field with a, with a plan for how to move forward, um, really kind of helps. Is, is that all, that's all really fascinating to, to just hear the whole process of it. Cause it's, it's, super complex. You don't just walk off the field and then walk on the next night and have a great game. But is that all magnified for you in like a high intensity playoff game or a game seven? Does, does everything you just described kind of shift around based on the intensity of that moment, the winner go home nature to it? Um, it can. And so much of, I, I, I believe that so much of your success in those situations, um, especially in the playoffs where absolutely everything is magnified. Um, you, it, it all depends on how you look at those situations. Um, I think early in my career, there were definitely times where I was like, so I was so nervous to the point where I was, I, my thoughts were like, I hope, I really hope I don't mess this up. Um, I really hope I don't right. you know, leave a fastball over the middle of the plate. And and then inevitably, what do you do? You leave the fastball right over the middle of the plate. <laughs> and um, so, but if you can shift it, if you can shift it to, um, if you can shift your mindset to be like, oh my gosh, like what a cool opportunity this is. I, I'm going to get to pitch in the world series. Um, and you know, you, you look to your dugout and you see your teammates on the top step and you know that they're pulling for you. And you think about what a cool opportunity this is to come through in a big moment for your team and really help you help your team get a win or, or, or keep the momentum on your side. You, you start to frame it in more positive terms. Um, you start that kind of builds on itself. It starts to snowball. Then you, you maybe you get the first guy out and you're like, yeah, I, you know, I can do this. Here we go. And, and I remember like very vividly coming into game one of the world series. Um, I came in the eighth inning with two outs and the, the tying run was on second base. We were up by one, five to four. And the, the tying run was on second. And I'm, I was facing my, Michael Brantley, who, even though he's, he's a left-handed hitter, but he's one of the best left-handed hitters in, in baseball. And he had a, he had a, he was an all-star last year. He had a phenomenal season. So uh, it was a really big spot to kind of come in and, and make your World Series debut. But I remember after the manager handed me the ball, I, uh, you know, the catcher's jogging back behind home plates uh, to get ready for my warm-up pitches. And I remember standing on the mound and looking around and just being like, I was just like, this is so cool. Like, um, And I, I, I wouldn't have been able to get to that point like like five years ago. Like it, 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 sure. it probably would have overwhelmed me, but, um, I've, you know, I've worked really hard on that and being able to like, look around the world series logo was like spinning around on the jumbotron. The place is absolutely packed. <laughs> Everybody's standing up and just being like, this is so cool. Like this is, I'm in the world series. Like, this is awesome. Let's go. You know, like I'm going to, I'm going to put it all out <laughs> there on the line and, uh, I, I've done my work ahead of time. I know I'm ready to go. I'm going to stick to what we talked about, uh, in the meeting before the game. And, you know, that way, even if it doesn't go my way, I don't have any regrets, but like, I didn't, I didn't nibble. I didn't, I didn't shy away from the moment. I just went into attack mode, um, you know, thinking that, Hey, even if it doesn't go my way, I'm not going to have any regrets about it. I'm going to put it all out there and, and see how I stack sure. up in this situation. And 
it changed, it totally changes your mindset. And that's something I've had to work on a lot, but I think it's helped. We were, I was on the couch really pulling for you in that game one. I think (laughs) once you close it out, I, I did a fist bump my own. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) So it was, (laughs) we were happy to see that. And, um, in those Mets games, I mean, obviously I, I won't lie. I, I like it when the Mets beat the Nationals, but for me, it was ideal to see it come at like someone's expense other than yours. <laughs> so that's fair. <laughs> yeah, and that you know that game was like the Todd Frazier, like the Michael Conforto game where yeah. like, Conforto's getting his shirt ripped off. I'm like, all right, I was. I'm happy the Mets won. I feel bad it had to come at Sean Doolittle's expense, but that that's baseball. Hey, yeah. But, it's an occupational hazard if you're pitching but, in that in that closer role, and that's going to happen, you know, once or twice a year. Exactly. You got to figure out how to deal with it, and and there's times over the course of the yeah. season where where you know you're going into a game without your best stuff, but you you've been there before, and and you're like, I'm going to find a way to navigate this. It might get a little bumpy, and it might be a little ugly, but I'm going to grind it out. I I think I can find a way to navigate this inning, and sometimes it it just doesn't go your way, you know. You you hit a batter, or the first guy gets a hit, and then you're like, "Oh crap! Now what?" And then you know it it, it can work the other way too if you it, if you're not careful, and it, it it can happen so fast that you know. But you're next thing you know, you're walking off the mound. You just got taken out of the game, and you're like, "What the heck just happened?" Um, so like being able to kind of slow down and and really appreciate each moment, um, as corny as it sounds, can really really make a make a big difference. Did did you find that that was uh, particularly difficult when you guys took two two games from the Astros to kick off the World Series? Like going home, you've got three games at home. Did you find it was tough to stay present, knowing that like you win two of three here, you win the World Series? Obviously, it went a different way. You still ended up with the World Series, but did you find that that transition was difficult for you or as a team? Um. I don't know. I don't think so because I think we expected it to be, um, you know, we expected that World Series matchup to be a gauntlet, you know, going up against sure. a team that, that had experience going through it. So I don't think that we thought for a second that it was realistic to start thinking about a sweep or anything like that. But sure, we, sure. We, we, we really felt good about taking those two, first two games because they were so good at home all season. And, um, so we were like, all right, we're coming home with, with some momentum here. And it was the, the first world series games in DC since 1933. And the place was, I'd never seen the place like that before. It was absolutely incredible atmosphere. Um, I think if anything, we were, we were frustrated that, that we couldn't, uh, you know, really give the crowd what they wanted. And, and we were kind of stifled for those three games we might have been we might have been pressing a little bit trying to take advantage of that atmosphere and really bring the crowd to their feet and um uh, we just couldn't get anything going and i mean they're a really good team so like um it just they came back their backs were kind of against the wall and they came into our place and by the time those three games were done um uh you know we were kind of looking around the clubhouse and we were like well no home team has won a game in this series. So the odds are, the odds are technically in our favor. Um, and we kind of, we kind of bought into that. And, and that's so much of sports is, uh, just kind of, uh, convincing yourself that 
um, you know, things are going to work out a, a, a certain way. And then you start to really actually believe it. Um, but we said, you know, we said, hey, we're going to, we'll be back in a few days and we'll, we're going to be ready to party with you guys. And fortunately we were able to take care of business and, and stay true to our word. And, <laughs> and uh, it was definitely one of the, the weirder, the weirder world series in that respect that had never happened in, in any, right, in any right. fi- finals of any sport. But if it, looking at the kind of the arc of our season and the path that we took to get there, it's almost like uh, poetic in a sense. Like it had to happen like that. We kind of made kinda sense had, that that's how it, that's the path yeah, we took. It does. It really, it really just kind of fit. And you know, for us to be in Game Seven and we were losing in the seventh inning, and we came back and found a way to win. That was just. That was kind of everything that you needed to know about our team last year. So it was really special how it worked out. You guys, you share your spring training facility with the Astros, correct? Yeah, we do. So given, I guess, what we know about the Astros, now how's that made for like a different spring training atmosphere? I mean, do you see it? In reporters, do people act towards the Astros differently? I mean, you know, to the extent you feel comfortable talking about it, we're just curious to get your take. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing, even though we share a complex, like, we don't see them ever. Um, so, like, the only thing we really share is the the stadium field where, where the spring training games are played. Um, right. we, each have, we each have our own separate um, – basically, we each have our own separate uh, complex – on either side of that. So, you know, we don't parking lots, weight rooms, clubhouses, like we all have our, we have our own and we, we really don't see them. So we haven't really had any interactions with them other than the couple games that we've played against them so far. But, um, it's interesting how, um, and, and maybe even a little bit frustrating how we come into the season as uh, defending world champs. And we spend the first two weeks of spring training talking about the Astros, um, yeah, who we, yeah. we just beat in the world series. Um, we kind of mm. wanted to, we were kind of looking forward to taking one more victory lap, uh, before we really got down to business. But, um, you know, that's, uh, it's something that, that all of baseball is, is really trying to grapple with. Um, where, where's the line in, in cheating and, and technology has such, has become such a big part of our game. Um, the players have come together in, in, in a really powerful way to, um, we're putting proposals together uh, to send to Major League Baseball to make sure that nothing like this could ever happen again. And, and we're working on, um, you know, the different different things that, that will be collectively bargained uh, as far as new rule changes and, and, and punishment um, uh, schedules and stuff like that, that that would not only like deter any of this behavior, but also, um, you know, provide a little bit more accountability. Um, because just like, um, you know, players ultimately led the, led the changes in the two thousands when it came to, uh, eradicating steroids and PEDs. Um, once we, once we really realized how prevalent it was, the, 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 and we, we knew something had to change it, that those changes came were, were led by the players that, uh, and, and we're kind of doing the same thing now. Um, that w- there had, there had been kind of rumors that, you know, some weird stuff was going on there, but nobody ever really had, you know, concrete evidence. And, and, um, you know, it, it took a players coming forward 
and putting his name on the line to uh, really get something done about this. So um, it's, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that we have to deal with it, but I think um, we're, we're really looking forward right now to uh, trying to get some, some, some new rules on the books and, and make some changes so that the game can move forward and fans can feel good about what's going on on the field and, and they can feel good about the integrity of the game that, that uh, it's being played straight up every night. Um, so when, you know, as, it's expensive to come mm-hmm. to a major league baseball game nowadays. You, you, we owe sure. it to the fans to be putting, to do everything we can to put the, the best, uh, the best product on the field. So that's what we've really tried to focus on. Um, you know, how, how do we pick up the pieces and move forward from this? It's it's interesting that you, uh, you know, you, you reference the steroids uh, scandal of the you know the '90s, the 2000s, and how players led the change there. Because you know, I'm thinking in a way, baseball changed dramatically as a game uh, following that. You know, it was very much it was much more pitcher heavy, uh, pitcher dominant yeah. in the early 2010s, and you know, up until now. And there's a part of me that wonders if this kind of response from hitters to get a leg up was was almost in response to where the game had swung. And you know, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on like where this takes the game itself. Um, you know, baseball has been through so many ups and downs, and it's had its own dark periods. I have you know, zero doubt that the game itself gets through this, but I'm curious from like just an overall stylistic standpoint, if you see, and maybe it's too early, but if you see the game potentially changing as a result of these kind of revelations. It'll be interesting to see how it changes um, once the dust settles. And and you mentioned, um, you know, that the game has changed. Uh, It's constantly ebbing and flowing as, as, uh, you know, pitchers make adjustments and then hitters make adjustments. And, and we've seen, we've seen, you know, we saw a home rec- a home run record get absolutely smashed last year for the, the most home runs ever hit in a single season. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, across, that's a good point. Across the league. So, um, the game has changed so much recently where, um, you're seeing, uh, in, in baseball, we call it the, the, the three true outcomes where you have, um, it, you're seeing an increase in walks, you're seeing an increase in strikeouts and you're seeing an increase in home runs where the, the philosophy has shifted so much that pitchers have gotten so good. They're throwing harder than they've ever thrown before. Right. Um, their stuff, the stuff, just the raw stuff is their, their breaking pitches are so much more explosive and um, they're doing things that, that have never really been done before that it makes sense from a percentage standpoint it makes sense to take like three of your best swings to try to drive the ball out of the ballpark. And if you strike out, well, that's okay. At least you didn't ground into a double play. Like, um, Mm. and you know, maybe, maybe in those, as you're, as you're trying to take three swings to, to, to hit a home run, maybe you essentially scare the pitcher out of throwing, uh, throwing the ball over the plate and you, and you draw a walk and you pass it on to the next guy. And, um, you know, so you're seeing you're seeing the game change a little bit. The the stolen base um, has kind of become a lost art. Um, right. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, we we actually we don't really know um, how prevalent this was if other teams were doing it. Um, but as as technology has uh, really increased in our game, the game plans are so much more advanced. Um, the the amount of data that teams have now on their opponents. 
um, not just video, but like actual numbers, um, percentages that uh, of pitches thrown in certain situations. Um, they're so advanced now that uh, when you go into a game, like you, you know more about your opponent than at any point in our game uh, up to this mm. point. So um, it'll be interesting to see if teams, there's a thought that teams are, are actually going to go back to um, maybe how the game was you know, 15, 20 years ago when it was a little bit more uh, small ball oriented where players were more focused on uh, trying to put the ball in play and, and make something happen, um, stealing bases, bunting. Um, are these little things going to start coming back into the game? Um, you know, as pitchers, the pitchers are racking up strikeouts at record rates too, uh, because these guys are, are uh, hitters so often are going for this kind of all or nothing approach. Um, are we, are hitters going to make an adjustment to where they're, they're up there and they're willing to, they're, they're willing to hit singles. They're willing to, to get on base any, any possible way they can. Um, you know, those are some of the things that, um, you know, the game has a way of kind of correcting itself and, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see if those are some of the things that start coming into play, uh, more over the next, uh, over the next few years. Well, like you guys have Trey Turner. That guy's incredibly good at getting on base. He's like, um, yeah. he's yes. your prototypical yeah. pesky leadoff hitter. I know on the Mets, I he's great. I hate when he gets on base, but he's really good at it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think for all of the attention over the past few years that um, you know Anthony Rendon got as part of our team, um, you know Bryce Harper um, up until uh, last year when he joined the Phillies. Um, you know, Juan Soto now, um, you know, all in, in, incredible players. Some of the, some of the best players in our game, Trey's kind of flown under the radar a little bit. And I think, um, I think he's, he's gotten better every single year. He's become more of a, a complete player. Um, he, he's a guy that in this, in this new age of baseball has still has a really, really unique skill set. He can find ways on base. And once he's on base, he can absolutely you know, take over a game with the way that he can steal bases and make stuff happen. Um, and, um, you know, there's, there's been talk of, there's been talk of move, moving him in the order. And there's been talk of moving him to it, it, moving him around the order to try to, uh, give our lineup a, a slightly different look. I'm not sure how it's going to mm. shake out, but yeah, um, he's lead off hitter. Yeah. We, we, we also have Adam Eaton who has a, a pretty extensive oh, right. track record of, of being a, a really good uh, hitter at the top of a lineup. So um, it'll be interesting. I don't know how it's going to shake out. Those things are going to, are kind of uh, stuff I think we're going to play with over the next few weeks of spring training. But um, we have, we have a, a really balanced group uh, of, of speed guys and, and guys that can hit for power as well. So I know earlier you had mentioned you were good friends with Jerry Blevins, who's, um, he was, uh, I mean, he can get guys out from both sides of the plate, but a lot of people saw him as like your prototypical lefty one out guy. So how does, as your lead pitcher, what do you think about this new three batter rule? I'm interested. I'm really interested to see it in practice because I, I, I'm trying to keep an open mind, um, on paper and in theory, I, I don't like it. Um, because their, their whole, the motivation for MLB instituting the rule was to, uh, try to minimize 
pitching changes and, and speed up the game, um, you know, especially in the back half of the game as, as teams want to, you know, this is a byproduct of having all this new information and um, teams can, right. uh, as we call it, play the matchups and, and try to get the, the pitcher in the game that's going to be most effective in that situation, even if it's only for one hitter uh, before they hand it over to the next guy. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it, it works in practice. Um, I, I don't, <clears throat> I don't know if it'll actually shorten games um, because in those, in those three hitters that, you know, pitcher is required to face. Now you might have to navigate some really bad matchups for the pitcher and, and it might leave, right. it might leave a mess for the next guy that comes in. Uh, he might come into a situation with some guys on base and, and uh, you know, only one out or something like that. And, and that's a tough spot to find yourself in. Um, but as, as far as, you know, improving the pace of the game and, and the length of the game, I, I, I don't know. I don't know really if it will be able to do that. Um, it, it, so I, I really don't know it, 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 um, it, Jerry is one of those guys that, that made a, a really good career for himself. Um, being a guy that can match up against virtually any left-handed hitter in the game and, and be able to get him out in those situations late in games. So there's a, there's a whole group of guys that, um, made a, had a long career that, that, um, it'll be interesting to see, how uh they adapt and and how they start to be used now um you know the i mean part of the three batter rule is is only um i guess for the for the beginning of innings so you could theoretically right in with two outs get a guy out and then they could bring a a guy another guy in to start the next inning so that's that's still an important piece to have in your bullpen uh you still want to be able to have um you know effective lefties in your bullpen so um but um i don't know i mean on the other hand it makes guys uh who who can get guys out uh lefties and righties it makes those guys a little bit more valuable so i don't it it might change the way teams come comprise their bullpens moving forward um i I really don't know like i said i'm i'm trying to keep an open mind that you can make arguments both ways um, but I, I'm, uh, I'm really interested to see how it actually, uh, shakes out. Just quickly, one of my favorite Jerry Blevin stories sort of was when, um, before he came to the Mets, he was on the nationals. And I think mm-hmm. he shared the bullpen with Craig Stammen, who was a nationals reliever at that point. And I think, yes. I think Craig Stammen's quote was like, Jerry's an interesting cat. We're going to be sorry to see him go. And I think, like, the IQ of our bullpen definitely dropped at 50 points now that he left. <laughs> hey, he's definitely – he's really smart. And he's – like I said, I learned so much from him um, it, when we were both in Oakland. Um, he helped me really kind of understand um, what it meant to be a big leaguer and, and, and how to carry yourself and, and how to – make sure you can make it through a 162 game grind, both physically and mentally and, um, how to prepare. We were throwing partners for, for, uh, my first couple of years in the league. So you're throwing, if you're a reliever, you're throwing partners. Um, that's a big deal. Like you spend, you spend a lot of time together, uh, before games, um, playing catch in the outfield and working on your stuff together. And, um, so I was, I was very lucky to have him and, and he's also great for, um, you know, the, the conversations in the bullpen, uh, we have a lot of downtime down there, especially during the first, maybe five or six innings of a game. 
Um, so you, it's important to have guys that you can, you can bounce ideas off of that. You can learn stuff from, um, you know, sometimes you, uh, you end up talking about stuff that's not really, uh, that, uh, related to the game. It could be about movies or, um, you know, music and stuff like that. So Jerry is, uh, he was a, he was a movie guy and Jerry would always get on me that I hadn't seen a lot of movies. <laughs> um, besides, besides mm. like Star Wars, so um, he was actually, actually when, <laughs> when he got when he got traded from um, Oakland to Washington, he was working on a list of movies for me that I had to see, like a like a one hundred like def- definitive movies that I needed to see because he kept making these references awesome. that I didn't get, <laughs> and and he would just he would look at me and I would just kind of like <laughs> stone face him or give him like deer in the headlights look, you know. Um, so I, uh, at some point I'm going to have to circle back with him and, and I, I would like to think that between, since then I've checked, uh, I've checked at least a few of those off my list. Well, he can send you a movie list. We'll send you a, a hundred essential fish shows that you have to listen to. Uh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> That'll be what you can expect. Um, we wanted to ask you just really quickly as we were kind of winding down here. Um, you know, one thing that we really, uh, admired about you was or one thing we really admire about you is your kind of outspoken um you know stance on politics your charitable work and one thing that really drew a lot of attention was your um turning down a, a visit to the white house and i just wanted to get a sense what your thoughts were on that whole experience and what that was like for you um that was um yeah, that was it, it was actually a tough decision to make be, just because when you when you win the world series you, you you have so many celebrations with your team and you know that the business of the game means that um it, it's probably going to be the last times that you're all together as a group um sure. you know contracts contracts expire guys are going to be on new teams the next year um, and it happens quick, like in, in, within, within like the, the, the weeks after the world series wrapped up, um, you know, guys were already signing with new teams. And, um, so you, you, you really want to soak up like every last minute that you have together as a group. But, um, in that, it, that was one, that was one, uh, part of the celebration that, um, I, I didn't feel comfortable being a part of. And, um, I, I'm really grateful that, um, my, my teammates were understanding and supportive of it. Um, I had some, some really great conversations with some guys and there was nothing, um, there was nothing personal about it. Uh, at least with them, um, sure. they, uh, they understood and, and they know they've, they've, you share a clubhouse with guys over, over, you know, eight, nine months and you get to know each other really, really well. And, they know kind of what I stand for and the, and the stuff that I believe in and, and they understand why I felt like, um, it, it wasn't something that I felt comfortable participating in. And, um, that was one of the things that made our team, uh, I think really good is that you have a bunch of really different personalities, a different backgrounds, guys from different countries, different parts of the world that spoke different languages, um, you know, coming together and, and, um, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the way that they supported me with that. And, um, you know, the organization supported me, supported my decision. And, um, 
So it, it, like I said, that was, that's why it was, I, I knew I didn't want to go. That, that was sure. um, a, a really, that was a, a really easy decision. Um, but, uh, you know, having to, to, you know, stand up in front of your teammates and, and explain that, um, you know, it, it can be a little nerve wracking. It can be a little tough, but, um, that's one of the things that I think that made us a special team is that they, uh, they accepted it and, and, uh, had nothing but, uh, support for me for it. So I was, uh, I was grateful. Yeah. Do you find, um, I, I think it's really interesting what you said about, you know, how that, those types of things made your team really unique. Uh, this mm-hmm. kind of very guys coming from very different backgrounds, all collaborating. And, you know, I've got to imagine to some extent, you know, you see that in, a lot of teams that really connect in a large way and are able to advance and, you know, ultimately win a title in their respective sport. But, um, you know, obviously there's kind of a heightened sense of awareness of the political world right now in kind of all facets of American life. And have have you found that that is something that seeps more into the baseball clubhouses, uh, you know, over the last couple of years? And is it something that, um, like can create riffs or is it something that you guys are able to like unite around your, your shared beliefs and, or, uh, shared differences, I guess, in that same sense. Um, I just think that, um, it's, it's not something that gets talked about that much, um, as much as it has, uh, okay. the political discourse has kind of found itself in, uh, permeating a lot of different, uh, facets of life. Um, as far as like in the clubhouse, um, it really doesn't get talked about that much at all. Um, and, um, you know, it's not like we're shagging batting practice talking about like the budget and the tax code and stuff like that. Like, or, you know, the, it, it, it just doesn't get talked about that much. You're, you're, you're talking a lot about what's going on with your families and, and what, uh, what, what, sure, what you're sure. doing on the next off day and what, what else is going on around the league. And, um, um, but I think like, um, you know, my hope is always that, um, the, the work that my wife and I do in the community, kind of, uh, at least in the clubhouse, it, it, it kind of stands for itself and, and that, um, sure. guys see that, um, it's stuff that my wife and I care a lot about and that we're really involved in and that, um, we do a lot of research and, and we talk to a lot of people to try to understand these issues as, um, uh, as thoroughly as we possibly can so that, um, when, when we talk about it, we're talking from, from an educated perspective and, um, that it, it, it's not in any way, it's not opportunistic. It's something that uh, we genuinely care about and identify with. And, um, you know, even uh, in the clubhouse, it doing it, I've found doing it that way, guys respect that. Um, a lot, uh, even if it's not, um, ideas or beliefs that they share, um, they see how much it means to you. And, um, you know, they, they, uh, um, it's not something that they question. A lot of times guys, guys want to learn a little bit more about it and understand, you know, why, how'd you guys get involved in this? Or like, what, what exactly does, you know, this organization sure. do? Um, so, um, you know, and, and there's a lot of guys throughout the course of the season that have, um, they might have events or fundraisers, or, um, they might be trying to do some benefit work for causes that they support. So at the end of the day, like 
uh, we all kind of support each other when it comes to those things. It might be, it might be donating items for one of the guys fundraisers for his organization. It might be going to, um, a, a, a dinner event for a teammates, um, charity organization. Like there's, there's a lot of kind of crossover support that happens like that behind the scenes. Um, even if it's, you know, an organization that you've never, uh, worked with or, or might not otherwise associate with, um, you're just, you're supporting your teammate in that, in that, in that sense. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's one of those things that guys just kind of have a respect for as, uh, you know, just one of your teammates. Yeah. I think that's really helpful and fascinating insight for us to, it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, we're not, um, sitting around the water coolers in the offices talking about the budget of the tax code. I can promise you that. So <laughs> it's a lot of family talks as well. Are, are, are there any, um, uh, any, any particular charities or, um, uh, um, active, you know, uh, anything that you're active in that you're, you're, you'd like to share and promote here? Um, the, the one we work the most with is an LG, LGBT, um, support charity in, that's based in Washington, DC. It's called smile, um, S M Y A L, uh, sexual minority youth assistance league. And, um, my wife is, at, she's on the board now and, um, uh, she's done some really great work. Um, she's been a part of some really cool things since we've, since we joined the team there, um, so to speak. And, um, it kind of started with, uh, with the way that we promoted, uh, pride night, uh, in, in DC after we got traded over there. And, um, mm. the, uh, the, the relationship with them has just kind of grown from there. So, um, they're a great organization that does a lot for the LGBT, specifically the youth, the, the, the teenage, um, the, the teenage population, the, 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 um, the kids that are maybe in there uh, just out of high school, um, and they get a ton of support uh, from Smile as they, um, you know, uh, want to become, you know, uh, community advocates and community leaders. And they do. It's kind of a, a really holistic approach that they take. They do everything from, you know, after-school programs to uh, sex education and and um, work in uh, in the LGBT community. So they have housing. Uh, uh, programs they have uh employment programs where they help them find jobs and build their resumes and um you know learn to to kind of uh become uh self advocates as well so uh it they do they do a lot of really great work and uh pride night is definitely one of the highlights of the season for us that's hmm. really wonderful does nationals park have um the veteran of the game uh, we do a, um, it's not just one, they, uh, they do, I believe it's in the middle of the fourth inning. They kind of, they, okay. they have a salute. Yeah. And, um, they, they're, the, the nationals are, are very involved in, in the veteran community. Um, and that's something that that's another area my wife and I are, are also involved in. We, we both come from military families. Um, but I think right. uh, what's important about the Nats is that it's more than just, um, it's more than just like a, like a standing ovation at a game. Um, it's yeah. more than like a, co like a color guard on the field during the national anthem. Um, I think that stuff is important. Um, but I think, it, you know, it, it should go farther than that. Um, and they do some, right. they do some great stuff with military families, bringing them out to games, um, going to, uh, we have visits where we go to some of the military hospitals and the military bases in the DC area. Um, 
we do stuff with military kids. We have like a reading program that we do with military kids. Um, we, we, we bring gold star families to games and meet with them, um, before the game. Um, they do some really cool stuff that I think kind of backs up some of that stuff that you see on the field. And, uh, yeah. and it, it, uh, it, it's really powerful and we're really lucky to be a part of that. I'll just, we'll tell you quickly back in 2016, um, my grandfather passed away two years ago. Like he was in World War II, he was in the Battle of the Bulge in the Ardennes Forest, and he actually, he got a silver star for uh, kind of capturing a German battalion. So in 2016, wow. we were able to get him on, uh, to, to get him to become the veteran of the game at City Field. And they had him down on the field. Oh, wow. They gave us, it, it was incredible because, I mean, my grandfather was an incredible person. He's by far, I mean, the reason I love the Mets as much as I do. And just to like kind of get him there at the Mets game was um you know, like the Mets organization treated him extremely well. So that was a really, it, it was a very good memory that yeah. he's not here anymore. Did you, did you get one of the, the flags? Yeah. They present the flag. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. The Mets have done, um, actually, uh, I think the Mets have done, um, a, a really good job with their veteran outreach, uh, with their work with military families. Um, they had a program a couple of years ago that they did around Memorial day that, um, uh, my friend Nick Francona, uh, Terry Francona's son, was working with the Mets at the time, and he put together um, a, an event for Memorial Day where um, families of fallen soldiers, um, <clears throat> he would connect the, um, these families with players on the Mets based on kind of mutual uh, things that they might have shared. They might have been from the same hometown oh, wow. or the same state or, or the same country. Um, or, uh, they might've gone to the same college. And, um, so there was a, I, I thought it was a really powerful gesture, uh, and a, and a really cool thing that they did. The, the Mets have a, have a, a really good track record of doing stuff like that. That's good to hear. Yeah. There's a photo. We have a photo of him up on the Jumbotron. I think it was Kelly Johnson, classic utility. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was the one who gave him the flag. Yes. That's awesome. That's really cool. They lost the game, but I was able to <laughs> like talk to the. I was able to talk to all the Braves that they came to bat. I think they all talked to me except Freddie Freeman. Didn't want to be bothered, but <laughs> all the other guys, Chase Darno, was talking. I'm like, Chase, how's your guitar band? He's like, It's great. I've got to get a band together. I'm like, All right, but that's funny. Anyway, my God, Sean, that's awesome. This has been. A phenomenal conversation. I've enjoyed this very, very much. Yeah, thank you so much for the time, man. This has been great. I've had a lot of fun. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, best of luck to you, man, as uh, spring training continues. And hoping you guys get to take something of a victory lap as we go into the 2020 season. <laughs> you guys definitely deserve that. And um, I, uh, I'll i be looking forward to coming and watching you guys play uh out I, I live out here in denver so i'm gonna look forward to your guys visit to coors field and uh we'll awesome. be we'll be watching throughout the year and hoping you're able to catch a show in atlanta me too man i really appreciate that i hope we get to connect in real life at some point that would be great that absolutely be great it'd be awesome i will uh, certainly be there at city field probably opening day if it's not too cold so <laughs> but yeah definitely 
thanks again for coming on. And any questions you have in the future about fish or fish fandom or music in general, please don't hesitate to reach out because we love baseball and we love talking music here on Beyond the Park. I love it. I'm going to check out those shows and I'll get back to you guys. Wonderful. So please come back. We'll talk music. We'll talk fish myopia. There will definitely be some references to baseball. And together we will go beyond the pond. Beyond the Pond podcast is part of Osiris Media. It is co-hosted by David Goldstein and Brian Brinkman, and it is edited by Brian Brinkman.